0: That on. Uh, verse 17 says, "I'm, I'm going to give you some instruction, and trust me, I'm not pumping you up. I'm, I'm going to be kind of hard on you, and so these next few verses are kind of designed that way. And so, you know, the church in First Corinthians were having all kinds of trouble. In fact, we're going to get into it in a minute, but." They had a lot of divisions. They had a lot of things they struggled with. They had a lot of things that were infighting about. And it's prevalent all the way through 1 Corinthians. Chapter one, you know, he he opens up about the teachers they're following. You know, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus. Uh, And of course we know that we don't follow teachers, we follow Christ, right? Although, have you ever seen that problem in a church? I follow a preacher, preacher leaves, I go with the preacher, or the preacher leaves, I won't worship here anymore because they got rid of the preacher. Sometimes we can get into teacher and preacher worship. It happens, I'm not saying it's happening here, but it happens with, throughout the church as a whole in the nation, sexual immorality. They had a problem in chapter five with sexual immorality. I know, uh, I'm not saying we have that problem here, but that there is that problem in the church. I was, I was with a small congregation. We were doing an interview for preachers. We were going to hire a preacher. And I interviewed this preacher that was a preacher in a congregation in Seattle, Washington. He said that was one of the reasons he was leaving. There was a young couple living in sin. They got baptized. He said a year later, they're still living in sin and not married, and the church didn't do anything about it. So I, I just want you to to see that just because these were problems that happened way back then, some of these problems, the church still struggles with as a whole. Lawsuits between the Christians. I personally know some people that have been through those kind of battles. Those are still problems. Over law, marriage, and divorce. There's, there's a big division among churches of Christ about uh, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. That happens. Over food offerings to idols, Chapter 10, idolatry keeps in. Chapter 11, head coverings. You know, we have churches now with the head covering thing. What was going on in Paul's time? So in in light of that, the first thing he says uh, in 17, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better but for the worse. Did you ever think about that? One of the purposes when we come together to worship is for what? Make things better, not worse. They had that problem. They came together and it got worse, it didn't get better. And he goes on to talk about why it got worse. Uh, For in the first place, when you come together as, as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and I believe it in part what Paul's saying is I'm getting this secondhand hearsay right from a lady named Chloe go back to chapter 1 but he says I believe what she's saying cuz what I've seen myself it's very believable you're having these divisions among you about stuff I thought about this in my own personal application. You know, when we gather together as a church to worship, we should always come with the idea of making things better. As a church, a church gathering is a holy gathering with a holy purpose, not a personal purpose, but a godly purpose. Do you ever think about that? When we come together, this is really holy. I think um, I think sometimes I fell in that. You know, I, I know I have. It's hard sometimes. We come in and we visit and we talk about sports and we talk about the news. And the guy and Chuck calls us to worship, and people are still talking about baseball scores and basketball scores. I've done that, talking about news. This is a holy thing. This worship service is holy. We're supposed to set our minds prepared for holiness, holy set apart. Listen, and we're going to learn about it later, but God and Jesus is a very much part of our worship. He's here when we worship, and he's holy. I guarantee you, when we worship, come together to worship, God is focused solely on us, and so is Jesus, and on this worship service. Yet yeah, sometimes our minds go on all over the place. He said, instead of that, you got divisions. Have you ever went somewhere and there's a person there that you really don't get along with? Maybe it's a family member at a family gathering, (laughs) or maybe it's a person, I don't know, maybe you go to a dinner or an outing or a PTA meeting and they have rubbed you so wrong, you have got in and butt heads with them so much, the only thing you can think about is that person and you can't even enjoy the event. Can you believe they're here? If you ever people like that, can you believe they're here, what are they doing? What are they up to? And they just miss the whole thing. That's what happens in divisions in churches. People get so divided and argue about things, when they come to worship, All they can think about is those people that they disagree with. Have you ever done that? This is a holy thing. We're supposed to be focused on God and Jesus Christ, making things better, worship, and we can't because of divisions. Now, Paul doesn't say that we should never disagree about things. We should just never let our disagreements divide us. When we come together and worship for God, We shouldn't let things like politics or or, or, uh, COVID mandates or other things. You know, there's some people in the church that are vegetarian. Some people that aren't vegetarian, that like rubs them raw. Like, what's wrong with that person? To some vegetarians, it rubs them raw because people eat meat. We can have those kinds of differences, but they don't need to divide us. Why would it divide us? We're one in Christ. No divisions among you, there's divisions among you. Then the first thing he says, "For um, I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. You know, if there is fighting going on inside the church over something if anybody has a genuine faith, it should stick out. And it shouldn't shock you. What'll happen to you if you're expecting the church to always be peaceful and then all of a sudden you go there and it's not? You are gonna respond properly? Paul says, it doesn't shock me. It saddens me, it worries me, but it doesn't shock me the question is if there's fighting going on about stuff who are you are you the genuine person are you the person that's taking part in the division that's one thing you have to ask yourself what group do i fall into are you in the uh genuine group look at chapter three verses one through four first corinthians just kind of flip over there Talking about divisions. Paul said in verse chapter three, verse one, but I, brother, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh behaving only in human ways? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos," are you not very merely human? What's the problem with people that get caught up in these divisions and these arguments? They're spiritually infants. They're not mature. You remember the parable of the soils? got four soils, right? Got some seed that go by the pathway, the birds eat it, and never takes root. And then you got the rocky ground, so the, 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 the seed's planted and then it takes root, but it doesn't go very deep because the ground's so rocky and when the heat comes, it, it, they wither and they die. Then you got the, the thorny soil. What well, takes root and they grow up And then the thorns choke them out. Then you got the good soil where you bear fruit. Just because somebody's heart was thorny soil and the weeds have choked out doesn't mean they've left this building. (laughs) Doesn't say that. Doesn't mean they left this building. In every church, there are people. Who have grown up in thorny ground and they got weeds in their life and it's choking them out and they're still here what are people like that going to do in divisions would you expect the church never to have a problem when you have members like that of course you are it's going to happen the question is when that happens what kind of soil am i in you don't need to worry about their soil you should worry about your soil what kind of soil are you you know Paul said in uh, chapter 10 31 and 33 looks at what he read just one chapter back so whether you eat or drink or whether you are whatever you do do all to the glory of God give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God just as I try to please everyone and everything I do not seek my own advantage but that of many that the city may be saved. What's Paul saying there? You know, in one chapter he says, I'm an ambassador for Christ. He's talking about having this ambassador attitude about problems and people he's dealing with. You know what an ambassador does? Every country has foreign ambassadors. They send them to foreign countries to carry the country they're from's message and they take that message and they try to make it palatable so they can build some kind of bridge between that country and the other country so they can function together. They don't water the message down from the president. They never water it down. They just try to make it palatable. Paul's not suggesting you ever water down the truth. What he does is you make yourself not part of the fight, but part of the solution. Try to be an ambassador. Now, if that doesn't ensure success, some people won't ever respond to even somebody that's acting like an ambassador to Christ. But I tell you this, I will guarantee you this. If you're not acting like an ambassador, you will never mend any fences. The only chance you have is to show the love of Christ. Speak the truth in love, and again, and you can see as he, he addresses this problem before he gets into the, the Lord's Supper because how in the world can we properly, and we're gonna look at it in a minute, how in the world can we properly take partake of the Lord's Supper as a church if there's divisions? The first thing they were doing wrong with the Lord's Supper, uh, let's see, verse uh, 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes all ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Uh, what do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And We don't have that problem today, right? Everybody doesn't bring their own Lord's Supper, and and, uh, I don't think I've ever been to a church where somebody brought their own wine and got drunk at a church service, but they were having having this problem here. Some of the things, though, could happen. Uh, First of all, we need to recognize about the Lord's Supper that it's not to feed the human body, but it's to feed the Lord's body, us. That's what we're feeding. Spiritually speaking, we're feeding, and we're gonna talk about that in a minute because he gets into more detail about it. The other thing they were doing wrong is they weren't eating together. Did you notice that? Some didn't have anything to eat. They didn't wait on another. Some started eating, some didn't. The Lord's Supper is meant to be taken what? Together. It's a together thing, right? Also, the way they partook of the Lord's Supper excluded and humiliated the poor. In fact, this kind of conduct was despising the church of God. Do you think that was on their mind when they ate their food? Oh, I'm gonna bring a big old food, we're gonna be here. We're gonna be here and I'm gonna bring plenty of food, we'll have plenty to eat. Do you think in their mind they were thinking, I think I'll just despise the church of God? They weren't thinking that at all. Paul says that's the reality of your behavior. You're despising the church of God. Verse 23, Paul says, for I have received from the Lord what I also delivered. Paul is simply stating, Jesus hand delivered this to me and I'm passing this on. This is why I'm gonna tell you about the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26 and Matthew 14 is where the Lord instituted, it's a record of when the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper the night before he was crucified. Paul evidently got some more instruction from Jesus when he became an apostle. We know Jesus had talks with him uh, from reading other letters, including 1 Corinthians. First of all, we have these physical emblems. That's what he says there. when he talks about what the Lord said, For I received from the Lord, verse twenty three, I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the right, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I think, it's, I think it's always amazed me. You know, in the old law, when they worshiped God, there were a thousand physical elements that were involved in their worship. I mean, they had the temple and the holiest of holies and the holy place and all the altars and the incense and the candle and the, the bronze sea and the and the fence, and the, everything was physical. We worship now, we don't have anything physical except this, these two little things. We get this, this cup of juice, and we have this little bread. I don't know why God allowed those two physical things to remain. Um, perhaps he understands that we're human beings, and sometimes it helps us to touch, smell, and taste, to get our minds on something spiritual. But the focus is not on the cup and the bread. The focus is where? The bread is the body, Paul said, sacrificed for me. And the cup isn't just a cup. It's the blood of the new covenant. So when I take of this cup, it's not a... It's not a sacrament. Oh, I took the bread, I took the cup. I'm getting some kind of blessing because I performed this act. In fact, he's gonna get into it a little bit. The purpose of that cup, the purpose of that bread is to think about Jesus and what he's done about the covenant that he brought with us. Did you ever think about that? This is a holy thing when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Notice, it's a thing we do together. We proclaim the Lord until he comes. You know what we're doing? We're preaching the gospel to one another. The hub of the gospel is what? Paul said in, uh, in the same book, in verse, uh, let's see, what do I, I have this? Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. He says, I come to you only preaching one thing. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't come with flowery words. I didn't come with smooth talk because that's the only thing you need to know. That's what I preach. I don't want you to give me credit. It's all about Jesus. That's what we're preaching to one another. You know, in Hebrews, he tells us to, uh, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves as a manner of some, but we're to come seeking how to provoke one another to love and good works. Can you provoke anybody to anything more than love and good works than preaching the pure gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified? That's what we do when we partake of this Lord's Supper. We're preaching to one another. How can we do that if, if we're not thinking about Jesus? If we don't think about this thing as holy, I am set apart... For this one thing, I'm going to proclaim Jesus and his death and his resurrection until he comes back. That's what I'm here for. And I want you to know it, and I hope you're doing the same thing. We need to be preaching that to one another. It's an encouraging thing. You can't do that. It's not about just me. It's about the church together proclaiming christ the body worshiping the head i can't do that all by myself it's it's designed to be a collective thing look at mark fourteen twenty five, the last verse where uh mark records the institution of the lord's supper Verse 25, he finishes instituting the Lord's Supper and he says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When you partake of the Lord's Supper, we're all here, but there's somebody else there too. When Jesus joins with us in this Lord's Supper, it's, it's, Jesus is with us. Don't you think he's set apart for one thing and one thing only? To receive worship from his body? And yet we got our minds on all kinds of things. He says, the main thrust of that when, uh, in verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of Christ. He's already, he's already said they're partaking of an unworthy manner in, in verses 17 through 20, right? One of the unworthy manners was if they were treating it like a common meal. They were making some people feel bad they didn't have enough money to buy a common meal. They were, in essence, by not partaking of the Lord's Supper properly or not treating it like it should, they were despising the church of God. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, verse 29, let's see, did I skip a verse? Oh yeah, whoever drinks and eats the bread and drink, verse 27, the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of Christ. Let a person examine himself then as so and so eat the bread and drink the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What he's saying is if you make it a common meal, or if they're just simply emblems in a ritual, and you're not thinking about Jesus Christ, you're not thinking that that bread is the body sacrificed for me, that this blood is his new covenant with me, then you're partaking for the wrong reasons. In fact, you're drinking judgment on yourself because you're taking something so holy where God's there participating in it with you and you're trivializing it. You're making it juice and crackers. You're making the body of Christ and the blood of Christ juice and crackers. You know, my mom told me this story, she probably don't even remember it now, but she, I was just a kid. She said she'd come out of church laughing. She said there was a little boy the mom had a little boy with her, you know, and they were passing the trays around, just a little toddler, toddler and they passed the bread. And of course, she had to, he reached for the bread and she had to push him back and try to manage the tray, and get the bread out, take of it, pass it on. Then the fruit of the vine come and she had to do the same thing, kind of the arm bar to keep him away from the juice and she, she took of that. Then they passed the basket for the money And the mom had given him some change, and of course she had to pry the money out of his hand to get it in the basket. And then he told his mom, Mom, I paid my money, how come I didn't get punching cookies? That's what we do to the, that's what we do. When we don't treat it, those emblems, what they're designed to be, that we're not there wholly partaking in a holy communion with a holy God, commemorating and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to one another. That's what we do. Have you ever partaken of the Lord's Supper and your mind wanders? I hate to admit it, but I've done it. One of the ways to counteract that is to make it holy. Prepare yourself before you take it. That's one of the reasons that elders have a guy stand up there and talk. Have you ever listened to somebody get up there and talk, and then you realize you didn't hear a word they said? You're supposed to be prepping for this holy communion with the holy God. He says if you don't do that, you're bringing judgment on yourself. What's God gonna do with children of his that don't even honor Jesus Christ on the day he asked them to honor him in the way that he asked them to be honored? What's he gonna do with that? What's he gonna do with you when you do that? Look at verse... uh, Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. When you separate yourself from partaking of the Lord's Supper in the way God intended it as a church, as a church that sets themselves apart wholly to partake of this? What's the consequences of it, according to Paul? Spiritual weakness, spiritual illness, and it can lead to spiritual death. None of us are so strong we're immune to that. It's one thing when you can't make it to worship because of some real reasons, you got health issues, or you're maybe home tending a very sick person, but in my mind, I think from this teaching, it's designed for us to take together as the body. And I'm not saying you can't partake of the Lord's Supper at home when you have to be there by yourself, But I'm saying if you think you can do that on purpose and substitute the Lord's Supper for this communal thing that we're supposed to be going on and think you're gonna get the benefits from it, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I could be wrong. He's saying if we don't come together and do this right, not only do it, but do it right. Spiritual illness, spiritual weakness, and spiritual death And then he wraps it up in verse 33 through 34. So then, this is one reason why it needs to be, I think it really needs to be a communal thing. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. What's the implication there? It's something we need to do simultaneous, isn't it? You can't do the Lord's Supper here and then you do the Lord's Supper there. And you do it at the end of the service and you do it the first of the service or I did it right before I come. He's saying wait for one another. Do this as the body. You're celebrating and worshiping the head. Do it as the body. Don't trivialize it. Don't make it common or even a ritual. I'm going to tell you this story. i got a couple minutes. When I moved to Whiteland, Indiana, I was looking for a church, and uh, there was two of them right off the— I, I lived off of Highway 31, believe it. not. 31 goes all the way to Chicago. And I was right off 31, and there were two churches. One of the Churches of Christ was a big uh, brick building, you know, conventional, not opulent, you know, but it was a nice brick building, and they had a school nursery school next to it. It looked like a typical Church of Christ conservative building. And the other church was this uh, metal building and had a, uh, uh, somebody had put a false front on it to make it look like a business because you could have used it for a warehouse. This beautiful white building. And then it had a cross on it and then it was covered in neon lights, light blue and pink. It was all lit up and the cross was lit up. And I thought, i never seen a Church of Christ look like that. So I said, well, I'm gonna go to the brick conservative one. So I, I went there to worship. I had never seen the Lord's Supper so desecrated in my life. I mean, I couldn't believe it was going on. So they did the Lord's Supper, and they had a, a group of young people that did music all the way through the supper. And then they had the kind of the boom, chuck, boom, chuk, and. The whole popular thing and while the lord's supper being passed around people are I, I thought of this verse they were walking around visiting i mean it was as loud as being in a department store in the mall just talking and laughing and having a good time when the cup come around and i thought you know that's <laughs> that's not the place for me well i'll try that wild looking church of christ so I went down there, and they were the nicest, most very conservative Christians, very, very dedicated. I found out they were a group that had left that group because they quit teaching baptism. Um, And uh, they had an eldership, and it was a great place for me to get sober and grow. I mean, they were awesome people, uh, so the fronts can be distorted. But I've seen firsthand a church of Christ really desecrate in a very open way. Is it any wonder they were spiritually ill or sick? Um, I can't make all of you partake of the Lord's Supper right, but I can make me do it. Um, after studying this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a bigger effort in, in, in making myself holy just to come to worship to partake in all the things we partake of. We need to set ourselves apart for the song service, for the sermon, for the Lord's Supper, for prayer, for spiritual fellowship through Christ. When we do that, he tells us at the end of verse 34, If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. If we come together for any other purpose than to be holy in our worship, we bring judgment on ourselves, especially the Lord's Supper. You can be sure of one thing. If you come to worship God on a proper mind, on your hearts and souls, been on the proper things, you don't have to worry about God's judgment. In fact, you'll get his commend, uh, commendation for it. Uh, that's a lesson. That's just some of the highlights. I didn't pull it apart verse by verse, as some people do, but I hope you got something out of it. I hope it helped you a little bit. Let's all come together this next Sunday and just think about setting ourselves up pre-worship. You know, it's a holy thing.